Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship weekly podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. For those of you who don't know me, I am Micah Schorschberg. I'm the executive pastor here. been at CF for a total of three years. One year as executive pastor and the two years before that. As a youth pastor, holding it down. Yeah, they, they still love me. At least I hope they do. Uh, but uh, I love this church, and I love what God is doing here. And I just feel so privileged that I can come and be a part of something that God has been doing for 25 years, that I get to be a part of that. It's such a privilege and an honor. And that what we get to experience on a week-in and a week-out basis is because of the faithfulness and the sacrifice of people that have gone before us. And my hope is that one day that people can stand, you know, up here and they can say, hey, man, it's because of what Micah did and and what the staff did in 2017 that we get to do what we get to do today. And so uh, that's the heart of the kingdom, right? It's that those after you would go beyond you, that our ceiling would be their floor. That's the heart of the kingdom today. We've got a few birthdays in the house. Woo! Ben Moss, happy birthday. Yes, sir. College pastor flew in from Peru to hear me preach today. Thank you so much. That was nice of you. Uh, and then, uh, oh, 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 yeah, Ben. Wow. Is that real? Is that real? Yes, it is. Okay, but, but we don't only have one birthday. We have two birthdays. Put that next picture up there, please. Oh, yeah. In case you don't know who that is, that's your lead pastor. Oh, yeah. Look at those pearly whites. Not much has changed. Happy birthday, Jamie Miller. Yes. Love, Jamie. Uh, be sure to give him some birthday. Show them some birthday love today. We're so thankful for you guys. Todd and I might have been the person that put me up to that, but I won't. I'll leave that up for you to decide. Uh, busted, that's right. Uh, all right, um, and then I can't uh, preach today without honoring my wife, uh, Rachel Sharsberg. She's back there. Yes, I love her. She's awesome. This is us at Bass Hall. I wouldn't be up here doing what I do without her. So thankful for her. She's awesome. Uh, let me pray for us as we get started. I want to speak a blessing over you from Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word, and thank you for worship today. And Lord, we just want to continue to experience you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're starting off our Advent series entitled, The King is Among Us. And Advent is a word that comes from the Latin meaning of coming. And so it, it speaks to just hopeful, expectant waiting and preparation for the coming of Christ. Luke 2 tells a story about two kind of obscure Bible characters known as Simeon and Anna. And you may or may not know these people, but... Uh, Luke 2 details how they were in the temple and they were seeking the Lord day after day after day after day, praying and worshiping and fasting and expecting the coming of the Messiah. And then one day Mary and Joseph walked in and they recognized that it was Jesus 
and that he was the Messiah. What was it about Simeon and Anna that allowed them, unlike everybody else there, to recognize that Jesus was in the house, that he was in the building, that he was in the room, and that he was the Messiah? They had cultivated something in the soil of their hearts that was ready to receive the Messiah. We want to be people like Simeon and Anna this Advent season who are cultivating our hearts through worship and prayer, through fasting and seeking him so that we can recognize Jesus when he shows up, while at the same time expecting him that he is going to return someday and that is going to be a glorious day. But what prevents us from anticipating, recognizing, and worshiping Jesus? I found oftentimes it's, uh, it's just the little distractions, the little distractions in our life that come in so many different forms and ways for each of us. But really, if they go unchecked, if these distractions just can run their course, they'll, they'll prevent us from recognizing the king like Simeon and Anna. We like to distract ourselves a lot, oftentimes because uh, it just, it's a way to um, distract ourselves from the darkness that's around us. And it's a way that we, we think if we just distract ourselves a little bit, then we won't have to deal with our darkness. But unfortunately, uh, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, if we don't deal with our darkness, it tends to rear its ugly head at the most inopportune times or the most inopportune places. Allow me to share with you guys a little bit of darkness that uh, has happened in my world this week. This past Tuesday, my brother texted me and he let me know that my mom's identity had been stolen. And this wasn't a case of just somebody running up a few extra charges on, their, on her, her credit card at Walmart. Uh, it was literally a case of uh, they had shut off her cell phone and uh, they had drained her checking and savings account to the tune of 12 cents. Uh, no joke. Still didn't have her money back, so you can just pray for that to be restored. Um, and that, I mean, it's just crazy, y'all. Like you hear it and you're like, oh, that just happens to other people. Uh, but when it happens to you, right, it just, it's like, uh, it's a really a vulnerable place, feel violated, and you feel um, angry, right? Uh, and you feel upset. And it's a dark place to be. And what do you, you know, what was I supposed to say to my mom in that moment? Like, it's going to be okay, you know? Like, man, that's a dark place. See, we've all been in a dark place. We are in a dark place currently, or at some point, we will be. And standing in front of, uh, you know, an ever expanse of darkness can be a really, like, terrifying thing. And what are you supposed to do? I mean, we can curse the darkness all we want. I can curse the person that stole from my mom all I want. But I found that, man, the more we just curse the darkness, the more the despair rises up inside of our hearts. Our darkness can look like a sin habit, can look like a generational sin, the loss of a loved one, injustice, infertility, bankruptcy, prison, disease, divorce, the list goes on and on. And sometimes our darkness is because of the things that we have done, and it's our own fault, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the fault of, it's something that just happened to us, our circumstance, or the fault of, like my mom, somebody else, and what she has done to her, or what has been done to us. So allow me to ask you this morning, where is your life dark? I invite you to open up to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, our scripture for this morning. I'm going to read for us. I believe that we'll find hope in the scriptures today. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and reign, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Allow me to give you some backstory here on this passage. Isaiah is writing around 740 BC, and it's not a good time for Isaiah. Although this is an encouraging passage, it's not a hopeful time for the nation of Israel. It's a dark time. The nation is falling apart. They've, they've walked in rebellion towards God. They've walked in sin towards God and destruction and despair is imminent. The Assyrian empire is bearing down on them and soon they'll be exiled under the Babylonian empire. But yet in the midst of this darkness, Isaiah gives us this prophecy that we read here in Isaiah chapter nine. Nevertheless, despite Isaiah, Israel's rebellion and their hatred towards God and their disobedience, mostly due to their own choices and decisions, Isaiah prophesies of a coming king. So what is God's response to the darkness? What is God's response to Israel's rebellion? Well, his response is to send his son, to send his son, Jesus. It's in him coming to us. It's his response is to him send the one who will sit on David's throne to establish it with justice and righteousness. It's to, it's to send the one whose peace will have no end. It's to send the one who will bear the yoke of government and establish a new kingdom that is eternal in nature, one who will come in the form of a baby. That's God's response to the darkness. Isaiah might not have known when or who would fulfill this messianic prophecy, but we know now. We know now that this prophecy was pointing directly to the person of Jesus. This is who our Savior is. This is what God is like. Who does, he is a God who doesn't leave us in our darkness, but who comes to us in our darkness. The title for the message this morning is Leaving Darkness Behind. And what I want you to walk away with, what our main thing is this morning, is that Jesus is the King that leads us out of our darkness. My hope for you this morning is that you would walk away hopeful. In Isaiah 9, we find a prophecy about Jesus. We find a prophecy about a little baby that defines how we can leave our darkness behind. I want to encourage you to look back to verse 6 again. Our first point this morning is that you can be delivered from darkness by receiving counsel. For unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called 
wonderful counselor. When I graduated from college in 2009, it wasn't exactly the best time to graduate. A little thing called an economic depression that you might have heard of. And I didn't have a sweet job lined up. I didn't have a sweet internship lined up after graduating. And I really didn't know what to do. I did well in school, but I didn't know what to do. So I began to seek the counsel of those that I looked up to, that I trusted, people who had lived more life than I had lived and who had the scars to prove it, people of wisdom and experience. And so when you're faced with a life-changing decision, when you're at the crossroads, you know, what do, what do you do in that moment? Who do you turn to? Who do you consult? Likely the bigger the decision, the higher the stakes, the higher the implications, the more people that we're going to consult. But you don't consult your enemies in that time. You don't consult those that don't have your best interest. You go to those that have your best interest in mind. I ended up working for an HVAC company, and which is comical if you know me because I'm terrible at construction and doing anything. And uh, so I got fired. Uh, that was fun. Uh, so yeah, you graduated from college, you can go work construction, and then you're going to get fired. Uh, great. I'm off to a great start. Let's go. Let's keep this going. So I'm like, you know, I, I couldn't find a job anywhere. Like, literally, I'm like trying. And I wanted to do ministry that was on my heart, but I didn't have any opportunities. So I went to work at Starbucks. What The logical choice, right? And making, you know, a whopping seven fifty an hour. And I was like, you know, this is not exactly what I envisioned when I was growing up. And, you know, they just feed you the lies that you're just going to graduate from college and you're going to have this awesome job and you're going to make all this money. And I'm like, lies. You sit on a throne of lies. I love Elf. You should watch Elf. Uh, that was not in my notes. Um, but uh, it just, but, you know, so, and I'm living at home, right? I, I'm living at home with my mom and two cats, and I don't have a girlfriend, and I'm like, I am a loser. Uh, <laughs> this sucks. I do not like this. Um, so, I mean, it's funny, but like, man, like, it was, I was not doing well. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a time of just loneliness and despair for me, and uh, I was like, God, is this really all you have for me? Uh, I thought there was so much more that you had spoken over my life. And, uh, you know, in that time, I, I wouldn't trade that time for anything because in that time I learned to come to Jesus in my brokenness, in my pain, in my despair. I found Jesus to be a wonderful counselor during that time. And the only way I could have discovered that was if I walked through that time of, of darkness, if I walked through that time of loneliness and despair. You see, knowing Jesus as a wonderful counselor isn't that we come to him and he gives us this perfect answer or the direction for our life in an instantaneous moment. He might, but I have found that the beauty of Jesus being a wonderful counselor is that he's not there for that one answer. He's there for us to come to him over and over and over again. And more than giving us an answer, he's teaching us how to live life. He's teaching us how to navigate the challenging times of life, how to walk with endurance and perseverance, this, this, this walk, that, this race that he set out before us, to run the race with endurance. And so I want to encourage you to be honest with God in your places of despair and darkness. It's okay. He can handle it. 
He already knows what you're walking through. So just be real with him. Be honest and authentic with your struggles and with your darkness and with your loneliness and despair because he wants to counsel you in that place. The interesting thing about wonderful counselors, it doesn't just mean like a counseling relationship. It literally means the term wonder. And so I want to ask you, when's the last time you dreamed with God? When's the last time you let God know about your ambitions and your dreams? So many times the darkness is just bearing down on us that we can't even imagine accomplishing or seeing our dreams come to pass. But oftentimes, God wants to awaken those things in us to give us the strength we need to persevere in the midst of those trying times. And so don't let your despair, don't let your darkness stop you from dreaming with God because the thing that has your imagination will direct the course of your life. Think about it. The thing that has your imagination will direct the course of your life. The enemy is no fool. He gets this concept. He's trying to capture our imagination in all the wrong ways. Because he knows if he can get your imagination, then your heart's not far behind. When's the last time you dreamed with God? When's the last time you used your imagination for the king, things of the kingdom? It's not too late to dream with God. And your darkness doesn't have to define your dreams. I love that Jesus is somebody that doesn't just dream with us. He's the one who makes it happen. Disney literally has employees called Imagineers. They get to dream up like this crazy stuff. And that's what they do all day. Just they're, they're people that just operate in this realm of imagination. But Jesus is the one that we can dream with and he can actually make it happen because he is, he's the one with all the power. He's the one with all the strength. Where are you in need of the counsel of Jesus today? What are you facing today that you need his wisdom on? Come to him. He is a wise counselor and it gives us hope. The second way that we can be delivered and you can be delivered from your darkness is by finding strength. For unto us a child is born, to us the son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Some of you guys may know, but I have a disease called Crohn's disease. It's an immune disease. And uh, as a result, my immune system actually overacts. And so I'm on an immunosuppressant to knock my immune system down a little bit. But one of the unfortunate side effects is sometimes I walk through just seasons, like months of low energy. Uh, and I've kind of been in one of those kind of dips. And, uh, you know, just this past week, I got to a place where um, just with how I was feeling physically and with preparing for the sermon and my job responsibilities and uh, just grad school. And just, I got to a place where I was like, you know what? I just, I can't do this, right? Can't do this on my own strength. And I just came face to face with my weakness. We've all been there. And my question for you is, where are you feeling weak? Where are you feeling overrun? Where are you feeling beat down and defeated today? Because our places of greatest pain, places of greatest weakness, are always our greatest opportunities for breakthrough. You can't have a testimony without a test. You can't have a miracle without being in need of a miracle. 
You can't be delivered from darkness, and you can't appreciate that deliverance if you haven't been in a dark place. Mary, mother of Jesus, could have easily disqualified herself when that angel showed up and told her that she was going to have a baby. And not just any baby, she was going to have the, the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords. She could have said, well, God, but God, I'm too young. But God, I'm too dumb. But God, I'm too ugly. But God, surely there's somebody else more qualified than me. But God, I'm too weak. God doesn't want our butts. He doesn't. He doesn't need our butts. He doesn't need our butts because uh, it's not about our strength to begin with. It's not about your strength to begin with. It's about his strength. And it's about him showing himself strong through you, but it requires you to be dependent upon him. Okay. It doesn't matter if he is the, the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if he is the mighty God that he says he is, if we don't depend on him to tap into that strength. Does that make sense? We need to know God as a mighty God. And I'm learning to come to him in my weakness. I'm learning to experience my weakness, not as a, as a failure. Okay. You need to hear, hear me this morning. You need to experience your weakness not as a sign of failure, but as an opportunity for God to break through. Where are you feeling weak today? Where are you feeling weary today? Lay those before a mighty God who's wanting to show himself strong on your behalf. There's hope because Jesus is a mighty God. The third way you can be delivered from darkness is by experiencing the everlasting Father. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. When I was in college, I got to build a relationship with two guys named Russell and James. And Russell and James lived, uh, grew up in a place called the Methodist Home in Waco, Texas. The Methodist Home was for um, orphans and they were, at this point when I met them, they were 19 years old, and so they had graduated out of the Methodist home. So they were no longer could stay there and receive the services of the Methodist home. And unlike other kind of orphans, sometimes who have an, a grandmother or an aunt or an uncle who kind of like takes the child under their wings or into their home, uh, Russell and James didn't have anybody like that. They literally didn't have any family to spend uh, holidays with. They had nowhere to go. And so the beautiful thing is I got to know these guys. And not just like I met them on the street once, but I did life with them for seven years. And uh, the crazy thing is that sometimes I, I just had in my mind when I got to college that like orphans are like small children in Africa that are alone, right? And abandoned. But I didn't really, I had never interacted with a, a genuine orphan who was my age. And I was like, man, you know, what did I do to be born into the family I was born in? And what did they do to be born into the family they were born in? Like, this is, something is unjust about this situation. And I, we, you know, we took these guys under our wings and we, we did it. We loved them. We cared for them. But unfortunately, no matter what we did for these guys, um, they kept making poor decisions. And they couldn't keep a job because they would mouth off to their boss or they wouldn't show up to work on time. They couldn't keep a car because they'd lose their driver's license because they had unpaid tickets 
or they couldn't set up insurance or didn't know how to get an inspection done or wouldn't, you know, couldn't keep track of those things. They couldn't keep an apartment because they wouldn't pay their rent on time. And as a result, they would wander from place to place to place to place. At one point, they were living in our driveway or living on our couch and just trying to do everything we can. So the reason I tell you this story about Russell and James is that although you may not be in a place where you're in the situation that they're in, you may not make the mistakes that they have made. Where do you slip into an orphan mentality in your relationship with God in the way that you view yourself and the way that you view others? Got a little slide here that I want to put up to help us grasp and really get a hold of what I mean by an orphan spirit or an orphan mentality. Let me read it to you. The orphan feels alone. They lack a vital daily intimacy with God and are full of self-concern. But a child of God has a growing assurance that God is really my loving Heavenly Father. The orphan is anxious over felt needs, relationships, money, health. I'm all alone and nobody cares. I'm not a happy camper. But the child of God trusts the Father and has a growing confidence in his loving care, is being freed up from worrying. The orphan lives on a succeed or fail basis. They need to look good and be right, is performance oriented. While the child of God is learning to live in daily conscious partnership with God and is not fearful. The orphan feels condemned, guilty, and unworthy before God and others. But the child of God feels loved, forgiven, and totally accepted because of Christ's merit really closed them. The orphan has little faith, lots of fear, lots of faith in themselves that they've got to fix it and figure it all out. But the child of God has a daily working trust in God's sovereign plan for his or her life as loving, wise, and best. They believe that God is good. You see, you don't have to be an orphan to end up on the left side of the column, physically, in the natural, because we can be orphans in the spirit. But thankfully, God comes as an everlasting father to move us from the left side to the right side. Where do you need to know that you're a child of God today so you can walk out of these things you see on the left? Where do you need to understand that you're a son and daughter of the Most High? That no matter what your relationship is like with your earthly father, no matter how good or bad that person may be, your father may be, that there's a heavenly father who loves you, who cares for you, and is running towards you like the prodigal son. You see, when we walk in an orphan spirit, it not only hinders our relationship with God, but it hinders the way that we lead ourselves. And it, and it spills out into our relationships with those around us. Jesus comes as an everlasting father because he wants to restore our relationships on all levels with himself, the way we lead ourselves and love ourselves, and then the way that we do relationship with other people. There's hope because Jesus is an everlasting father. The fourth way I want to encourage you that you can walk out of darkness this morning is that you can walk out of darkness by receiving peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. A few months ago, Rachel and I went to Chicago for a little vacation to see our friends. And it uh, wasn't exactly my uh, most shining moment, needless to say. We, uh, so we got into the airport, and... We get off the plane and we're walking through the terminal in O'Hare. 
And I go, so uh, where's our rental car place? And Rachel goes, I don't know. And I go, what do you mean you don't know? She goes, I don't know. Can't remember. And I go, well, you probably want to figure that out. And I was like, hmm, not Pastor Micah's finest moment. Uh, so I stand there, you know, she looks up on her phone and I'm standing over here like, you know, Scrooge over here. Uh, how dare you waste 10 minutes of my life. Uh, entitled Micah here. And uh, so she figures it out and we go and we get on the little, you know, bus to the rental car place. And I'm, gonna, I'm like, I'm gonna go sit down. So give me the luggage. I'm gonna sit down. So I go, go down and sit down and she goes up to the counter. I'm like, I'll let you take care of this. And uh, she's standing up there in line and then she's up at the counter and then she turns around and gives me, gives me that look. And that look being like something's wrong. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. And so she comes over and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, I forgot my license. And I'm like, you forgot your license? Like, how did you get on the plane? And uh, she's like, well, I used my passport. I'm like, you brought your passport? Uh, and, well, okay. She's like, they won't let me get the car. So I'm like, all right, let me, I'm going to take care of this. You know, you sit down. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to be a man. Uh, so here we go. So I walk up there and I'm like, hey man, this is my wife. You know, can you change the names? I, you know, and he's like, no, you prepaid for this car. And so you can't change it like nothing. I was like, well, you, give me your manager's number. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him what's up. Uh, and so I called the manager and said a few loving words. Don't worry, I didn't curse at him. It's okay. Uh, and, but basically, there was nothing we could do because we had prepaid for this car. Newsflash, if you prepay for a car, you can't change the name or the date or anything. You lose it if you don't do it. So, uh, so instead of spending $75, then I, ha I have to fork over $250 for this two-and-a-half-day rental car. Needless to say, I was a little bit salty. And wasn't exactly super loving. But you see, the problem, was, uh, the problem wasn't the fact that Rachel forgot our license. The problem wasn't the fact that uh, she didn't know where the rental car place was or that they couldn't change the reservation. The problem was with me. I was walking in a high level of anxiety and when we're walking in so much anxiety that one mistake or one slight misstep sets us off, the problem is not what happened to us. The problem is us. The problem is inside. And unfortunately, our family members usually catch the brunt of our anxiety. Where are you feeling anxious today? Where are you feeling overcome with fear? Jesus comes in the midst of our anxiety to bring peace. Anxiety comes from trying to take things into our own hands. It comes from this fallacy that we're in control, which is a joke when you think about it. It comes from trying to do it all on our own strength. You see, any area of strength or any area of anxiety is an opportunity to abide. It's an opportunity to, to, for faith to rise up inside of our souls it's an opportunity to live out Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, through prayer and petition, submit your requests to God. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You don't have to live in a state of anxiety. 
in the midst of a culture that is one of the most wealthy cultures in the world that the world has ever seen, statistics show that the level of anxiety in our midst continues to rise. We as a culture need to know the Prince of Peace. Jesus wants to deliver you from anxiety today. We have hope because he is the Prince of Peace. As we finish up this morning, I want to reread verses 2 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, God is zealous for his people. He's not okay with them staying in darkness. And he is zealous to lead us out of darkness today. His, his kingdom is increasing this very moment, and it can't be stopped. He is establishing and upholding his kingdom with justice and righteousness. He will be victorious. He will show himself strong. And we don't have to distract ourselves from the darkness any longer because healing is in the room this morning. Healing is available to us, and Jesus is in the business of healing people. During this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to remember, but not only to remember, but to realize that the King is among us. No matter how you ended up in your darkness, whether it was your own fault or the fault of somebody else, there is hope today because you can experience true deliverance by your response. John 8, 12, Jesus testifies to himself and saying that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not you might or might not walk in darkness. You'll never walk in darkness. Not you might or might not have the light of life. You will have the light of life. There is assurance in the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. Our deliverance from darkness as a result is not contingent upon our own abilities because it's built on his ability. Our response is to be willing to yield to him. This morning, are you willing to yield to Jesus? Are you willing to repent of where you've tried to take things into your own hands? Tried to be in control of every little situation and interaction? Where do you need to yield to his strength, to his power? Are you willing to relate to him as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, an everlasting father, and as a prince of peace? How would our lives be different if we made that step today? I want to invite you to stand as we close this morning, as our band comes forward and ministry team comes to the front. And I want to ask you, where are you feeling a pervading sense of darkness in your life? Where do you need deliverance today? And where do you need hope? I want to invite you to repent of where you've tried to do it on your own strength. And I want to encourage you to take a step of faith today. Take a step of faith out of the darkness and into the light. Where do you need the counsel of God, the strength of God, the security of God, or the peace of God this morning?
The healer is available. He's ready to meet your every need. And I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer for any area of darkness in your life. You don't have to do it alone. Let's get real this morning. Let's be real with our darkness. Let's be real with our anxiety. Let's be real with our orphan mentality. Let's be real with where we need the leadership and direction of the Lord because I believe he wants to speak to you today. Like I said, Jesus said, whoever will follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're in this room and you've never made the choice to follow Jesus, here's your invitation. Here's your invitation that you can follow Jesus. You're not disqualified. No matter how deep your darkness, Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me and you will have the light of life. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of Kings. We thank you that you are the Lord of Lords. And we thank you that you are the light of the world. Would you lead us out of our darkness today? And would you lead us into relationship with you? Would you bring deliverance to those in this room that need it? We love you, Lord. I invite you to come forward and receive prayer as we worship this last song.